of others. It's your Lordship that we recognise tonight, Lord. Father, we are met here for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. We are met here for the purpose of lifting him high tonight. Father, and I want to praise you and thank you because all the glory is yours. All of it is yours. Father, I want to thank you, Father, because praise always comes first. Worship always comes first. Hallelujah. Because it is with God that we have to do. Hallelujah. And Father, I thank you. You are so worthy of our praise. You are so worthy of worship from us, Lord. Father, and I thank you, Lord, so much that this meeting tonight, Lord, has started with praise and worship that the Lord Jesus has already been glorified in our midst. Father, and I know, Lord, that praise and worship come in many different forms. And so the whole evening tonight, Father, I want given to worship of yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, and as we turn to your word, Lord, and as we study your word, may we know, Lord, that it is the glory of God that is revealed to us in it. And we're asking in Jesus' name, you will so move by your spirit, Lord, so anoint by your spirit with that we will know the power of God just in this room uplifting our wonderful Lord and Saviour, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Praise God. The subject of every Bible study is the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter what subject you're taking, the subject is always the Lord Jesus, because it is with Him that our souls have to do. Therefore, no matter what we are studying in the Bible, no matter what we are doing in our lives, it should be the Lord manifest all the time with us. And tonight we're taking the subject of Satan and the three forms of Satan. But the real subject is the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. And it is God's victory over the enemy that we are dealing with tonight. It is so important to understand the enemy especially in these days when he is so active. We've got to know God in a personal, wonderful way, but we've also got to know our enemy and to know what he's up to for us to stand in, a vic in the victory in these days. Now, the subject of Satan could be covered from many dis different aspects. For example, we could take the character of Satan, we could take the history of Satan, we could take the attack of Satan on the line of Jesus, we could take the attack of Satan on believers. We could follow the whole course of Satan through the tribulation. We could find out what he's doing, or rather what he's not doing in the millennium. And we can find out everything about him and his demonic army and his, uh, the forces of evil that are behind him. But tonight, I called it the three forms of Satan because the subject is judgment. Judgment and the three forms of Satan cover the whole subject of the sin of Satan and the judgment of Satan that is coming up. What an important subject. The, this is God's dealing with the most wonderful and the most beautiful creature that God has ever made. Now that's a very important point indeed. Because Satan has in the Bible a position of prominence and of importance and power, which is second only to that of the Lord Jesus, of God the Father, and of God the Son. That is the importance of the enemy, our enemy, in the Bible. There is no man, 
And there is no other angel in the whole of the word of God that has his history traced from the very beginnings when he was created right through to the fall. Yet, it's a most surprising thing that Satan's biggest trick today is to try and make everyone believe that he doesn't really exist. And if you as a believer are not quite sure of the existence of the enemy, I'm sorry for you, really. Because the Bible is so abundantly clear. And if you don't believe you've got an enemy, that means he can get away with exactly what he wants to get away with in your life and in the lives of people around you. The other thing that Satan's doing, of course, he's busy designing mimics of himself. I believe it is Satan that stands behind every cartoonist who is showing a picture of the devil. And he's not smiling either. He is deliberately trying to make the devil a character of such fun that not even a young child will believe in him. And the children open their magazines or their comics or whatever else they're looking at. And there is this odd-looking creature staring out with the title The Devil underneath, and they laugh. And behind it, there is a very serious-faced uh, enemy, the devil. And believe me, he knows what he's doing. He's not amused, and I'm not amused either, by the caricatures of Satan that we see around us. Because it's a dupe. He is trying desperately to convince everyone he doesn't really exist. He's simply a childish figure that appears sometimes in comics. Terrible. And the majority of people today in the world in which we live do not believe that Satan is a real personality. But he is, and the Bible is extremely clear. The original name of Satan was Lucifer. Now, this is a beautiful name. Here it is. Lucifer. And the name means, it has a glorious meaning, it means the shining one, or the glamorous one, or the bright and morning star, Lucifer. That was the original name of Satan, and it is a beautiful name. Yet, that name's only mentioned once in the Bible. All the other names are names that we are familiar with. Let's have a look at some of them. You probably know them. Do you know what they mean? Here we go. First of all, Satan. Satan. And the name, all of these names describe his present character. This describes his original character. The names he's now got describe the character that he's now got. Satan. What does Satan mean? The adversary. The resistor. The one who comes against you. The adversary. Satan. The next one. The devil. And the devil means the accuser, or the slanderer. And he's very good at it, very good at accusing you, very good at slandering you. There's another one, Apollyon. There it is, Apollyon. That's another name of the devil. And that word means the destroyer, the destroyer. The familiar Old Testament one, Beelzebub. Beelzebub, or the Prince of Demons, Beelzebub. The other familiar titles, the Evil One. Praise God that he might keep you from the Evil One, is such a phrase. The Evil One. 
And the dragon, the dragon. Now that's a picture of his power, the dragon. Now there they are. Let's have a look quickly at what the Bible says about this character that we're dealing with. Um, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. I'll just give uh, three on these, three or four of them. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. There's one thing we know about Satan. He has been a sinner right from the beginning. Next one. The Gospel of John chapter 8 and verse 44. The Gospel of John and chapter 8 and verse 44. The Gospel of John and chapter 8 and verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Satan has been a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And Satan is a liar and he continues to be a liar in our days. Don't turn to this, we'll be seeing it later on. In Revelation 12 and verse 9, he's described as the deceiver. The deceiver. And in 1 Peter 5, 8... In 1 Peter 5, 8, he's called the devourer, the devourer. I begin at verse 7, praise God. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And there's the Lord Jesus. Then it says, be sober, be right-minded, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. There he is. There's the character, this original one, who was the shining one, the glamorous one, the brightest of all the stars, suddenly turns to be the <coughs> sinner, the murderer, the liar, the devourer, the accuser. What has happened to Satan between Lucifer and between his new names, the devil, Satan? Apollyon, and all these others. What was it that changed the course of Satan's life? Because it is that which actually constitutes the first fall of Satan. What was it? Now, when Satan was first created, remember, he was created perfect. Absolutely perfect in all of his ways. But like all higher creatures, the, the enemy, Lucifer, had complete free will. He not only had free will, however, he had certain advantages that we certainly have not got. He was the one who beheld the glory of the Lord. He, if time existed at that time, he was the one who lived in closest contact with the Lord for perhaps millions and millions and millions of years. He was the one who beheld the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. For year after year after year, for century after century after century, he beheld the whole glory of the throne room with God the Father enthroned 
above all the angelic forces. He was the one that beheld all of this. And while he loved God, he was a faithful servant of the Lord. There is scriptural evidence, and we'll deal with some of it later on, for showing that he was the Lord Jesus' right-hand man. He was the one who personally waited on the Lord Jesus. That's Lucifer. There he was. But one day, his positive volition, his positive free will, suddenly turned negative on God. The moment his love for the Lord started dimming, his free will went negative. It's true of us too, by the way. The Bible says uh, this in, in Revelation chapter 2. It says you've got to keep your first love. In fact, he spoke to a church and he said, you've lost your first love. Repent, it says. That's the only way through. If you've lost your first love, repent. While you're in your first love and while the first love that you have to the Father remains intact. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. You dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, in the secret place of God, in the hollow of His hand. All of us, with our first love showing forth, we burn as one flame of love before the Lord. But let that grow dim in any way. Let it grow dim in any way. And the result becomes negative towards God. If in any way our love of God starts dimming, then it means that we turn against God. All of a sudden, we find that we don't love Him as we ought to love Him. And we find self rearing its ugly head. We find problems of the world coming in and things getting much bigger than they really are. And the same thing happened to the enemy. And when Lucifer, the shining one, the glamorous one, found that there were other things occupying his heart, he turned negative to God. And pride started rising in that creature's heart with disastrous consequences. It was at that point he began his revolt. And the revolt wasn't an attack, a sudden attack on the throne room of God. He didn't storm the gates of heaven or anything like that. It was like the attack that Absalom led against David. He went round and gradually uh, swung away those who were unfaithful. He gradually went round collecting one person and another person over here. And soon he had a massive army which was going to unseat David. And that's what the devil did. And the devil went from one angel to the next angel and said, I'm leading a revolt. I'm going to establish myself. Are you going to follow me? And Revelation chapter 12 tells us that one third of all the angelic hosts started following Lucifer. And the revolt was in progress. I find it impossible to fully appreciate the horror, the wave of horror that must have swept through the universe when <coughs> Satan first of all came against the authority and power of God. And at that point, he fell from grace before the Lord. At that point, he began saying, I'm going to take over. It's either you, God, or it's me. And I'm going to be God. Now, the full details of this are given in a marvellous passage in Isaiah chapter 14. So, if we could turn to Isaiah chapter 14. 
Isaiah chapter 14. And I'm going to begin verse 12. Verse 12. Now don't forget, Satan is the antithesis of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you see in Satan, you see the opposite in the Lord. And as we go through these, I'm going to draw pictures across to show what Satan wanted to do and how the Lord actually did it. And there's a world of difference between the two. Now here it is, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The shining one. Here he is. Do you remember when we dealt in the first course of Bible studies with the serpent in the Garden of Eden? Do you remember his name? Nakash? Remember the word Nakash? It meant the shining one. Yes, it's approximately the same word as Lucifer here. The shining one. Here he is. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Now the first fall, his fall from grace, when pride came up in his heart and turned him against the Father, is shown in verse 13 and verse 14. It's what I call the five wills, the five I wills of Satan. I will, I will, I will, I will, and I will. And all of it constitutes the first fall of Satan. Now let's go through them and understand them. First of all, For thou hast said in thine heart, isn't the Bible a marvellous book? The only book in the Bible that can actually tell what a person's thinking. Praise God. The only one that can actually give a commentary what's going on in the heart. Glory to Jesus. You see, Satan appeared beautiful on the outside. He still does. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 11 still says he appears as an angel of light. But the Bible cuts right through and he sees Satan's heart. And this is the Lord talking, and the Lord saying, Satan, I heard your heart say this. I heard it say this. And here's what he said. First of all, I will ascend into heaven. I will ascend into heaven. Now, Satan and all the angels have always been allowed into heaven. That's the first thing to get clear. They've always been allowed up there. You've got that marvellous passage, I love it so much, in Job uh, chapter 1 and verse 6, where it says the angels of God came before the Lord. Actually, could we just have a look at that quickly? It's a marvellous passage. Job chapter 1, keep your finger in Isaiah 14, and verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, and that is a Hebrew phrase meaning angels, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Here's his name, Satan. This is long after he's fallen. I will go on. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And that's an idiom. That's an idiom which meant I own the whole lot. If you walk to and fro and up and down in a place, it was an idiom meaning I own the whole lot. I've been walking through my estates, he says. Everything that I own, I've just been having a look at, he says. I own the whole lot. And God immediately turns round and he says something marvellous. The Lord said unto Satan, 
Hast thou considered my servant Job? Hallelujah. And here's Satan coming into the presence of God. He says, I own everything. And God says, what about Job? Because Job would happen to be a believer. Praise God. He wasn't of his father, the devil. He was of his father, God the Father. Hallelujah. And suddenly the devil's thrown off balance. Oh, I see. Oh, well, there are reasons. And then the whole book of Job goes on to describe the angelic conflict. The earliest book of the Bible, Job, deals with angelic conflict. How important. How important that is. Well, there it is. Now, you see, Satan's always been allowed into the presence of heaven. So what did it mean then when it says, I will ascend into heaven? What Satan wanted, he wanted heaven to be his home. That's what it meant. He wanted the throne room of God to become the throne room of Lucifer. And he wanted God removed. That's revolt against God. He wanted to be far above all principalities and powers. Lucifer did. And it was pride that drove him on. Pride that wanted him to kick God out of God's throne room so that he could be installed there. Well, pride doesn't do it. But humility does do it. Hallelujah. And do you know where the Lord Jesus is today? He's ascended. Hallelujah. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in the throne room of God. He has ascended right through into the third heaven, right through into that wonderful, magnificent throne room. Hallelujah. Let's have a look at some passages that tell us about Jesus. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. The begin- actually, just at the end of 19. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places... Far above, hallelujah, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things, including Satan, under his feet. Praise God. And the Lord didn't do it through pride, the Lord did it through humility. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11. As he is, so are we in this world. Glory to Jesus. And he was humble. Praise God. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, including Satan, of things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. What Satan tried to do through pride, he didn't succeed to do. What the Lord 
came to do, he succeeded in because of his humility. Praise God. And we, my brothers and sisters, must learn the same lesson. If you are in any way led on by pride in your life, either in your spiritual life or your natural life, you are in Satan's territory immediately. Now there are Christians who are trying to get somewhere for, with God. There are Christians who are trying to get a great ministry for themselves. But there's only one way, and that's down. Hallelujah. And as you go down, he exalts. As you are prepared to let your ministry be sown to God, be sown to one another, so he will exhort always the way for us. We have got to learn the lesson. For us to count others better than self, to prefer one another, is the best possible way of exaltation. Hallelujah. And here is Satan in uh, his first I will, saying, I am going to ascend. I'm going to take over the throne room of God. That was the plan in his heart. This is before he put it into operation, and God knew all about it. Right, Isaiah 14 again. Let's have a look at number 2. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13. Now, I will ascend into heaven. Next, I will exhort my throne above the stars of God. I'll exhort my throne. Now, we've seen it before. The throne is the sign of authority. Who's going to exhort it? Satan is going to exhort his authority above, look what it says, the stars of God. And the stars of God are angelic beings. We know that from Job 38 verse 7. We won't turn to them. It's worth looking them up, however. And Revelation chapter 12, 3 and 4. Oh, yes, Satan just doesn't want to be head of these, the other angels. He is going to exalt his throne above them, so that he's not going to be one of them anymore. He is going to be higher than the whole lot. That's, that's the idea, and that's ambition. The thing that follows on pride happens to be ambition. Now, what about us? Well, when the Lord Jesus came, he didn't have any ambition except to do the will of his Father. Praise the Lord. And our ambition as Christians must be to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. We are all full-time. I think that's a point we've got to make clear. You are full-time because you're a Christian. Hallelujah. And as a Christian, you happen to be a priest. That makes you full-time. And you can be full-time as an evangelist. You can also be full-time as a barrow boy. You can be full-time as an RAF officer. You can be full-time as a car mechanic, as a nurse, as a teacher, as a Tesco filler-upper, or whatever they call it. You are full-time. Praise God. Now, if God's got a ministry for your life, you won't get it by being ambitious. If God's got a ministry for your life, all you've got to do is rest in him and be faithful to the Lord. And don't push. Then he'll do the pushing. Hallelujah. Oh, it's a dangerous thing, this. When I see Christians who realize that God wants to use their lives, and they're right, and they've decided how he's going to use their lives, and off they go. And they're going to have that ministry whether God desires them to have that ministry or not. And it's sheer ambition, and it's exactly what Satan did. You see, I don't want to be one of the ordinary riffraff. 
they say. I'm going places with God. Look, we're all going places with God. Hallelujah. And whether you're in a room all your life just praying, you're going places with God. And I've said it before, it's not going to be the great names that get the, or the prizes in heaven. It's going to the people who are, have faithfully served the Lord, though everything's been against them. Praise God. And this popularity and this uh, desire for a great name and recognition is a snare for Christians. It really is. Because if you get the glory now, he won't get the glory. It's either you getting the glory or him getting the glory. Well, we've got to learn something, that Satan was ambitious. And if there's any ambition in us, may God deal with it. May God deal with it. If you cannot be content where you are, then you can't be content anywhere else. There we are. Learn to get victory in your job, and you'll get victory if the Lord happens to call you higher up. If you can't get victory in your home, you can't get victory out on the mission field. If you can't lead people to the Lord now in English, you certainly can't lead them to the Lord later in Pakistani. Now, it's true, and it's false ambition. Praise God. Well, I've said enough on that. But th this is Satan. Now, Satan wants to exalt his throne onto a different sphere. He doesn't want to be like the rest of the angels. All right? Next one, number three. <clears throat> Uh, could I just say here, it is a good thing, however, to desire a position of responsibility. It's a good thing to desire it. It says, if any man desire to be an overseer, he desires a good thing. Praise God. But that's not ambition. Ambition is pushy. It's pushy. If you pray and ask God to bring out your ministry, that's something else. You want it to come up for the glory of the Lord. But it also says about an overseer there, let him not be a novice, right? lest pride enter in, and he be condemned with the condemnation of the devil. There we are. And pride is a major obstacle to Christian work. Number three. I will, I will, and now the third I will. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I'll read that again. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now, we sing a chorus, don't we? Beautiful for situation. And then it goes on. It's, uh, let's turn to it. Psalm 48, verse 1 and 2. I wonder how many people here actually know what it means. I wonder. Psalm 48, <clears throat> verse 1 and 2. Here it is. Grace is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Now what's this? Well, Mount Moriah and the place where the temple was built was on the north side of Mount Zion. And it was in from the temple that the rulership was going to go forth. And so it says, how beautiful are the sides of the north. How wonderful they are. Why? Because it's a place that God's chosen to have his throne. Oh, hallelujah. Well, of course, Satan wants the sides of the north now. He's not <laughs> going to have anything that God doesn't want. There's the situation that it is. And in the millennium, the, the new millennial temple is going to be built on the sides of the north, on the northern part of Mount Zion. And from it, the Lord Jesus Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. You've read the prophecies as well as I have. He'll rule. 
And that's exactly what this means. And when Satan says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, he says, I want rulership over Israel and over the earth as well. I want a new palace, the first I will. I want a new authority, second I will. And I want my realm to extend over the earth and over Israel. He wants everything. What about the Lord? The Lord died in Golgotha, which is in the north of Mount Zion. Hallelujah. And Golgotha is a beautiful hill because the very lifeblood of the Lord Jesus was shed for each one of us there. That's beautiful. He didn't come and usurp the authority. He came to give himself to receive the authority from God. Glory to Jesus. Uh, let's have a look at Jesus quickly in that. Colossians 2, 14 to 15. Colossians 2, 14 to 15. Satan wants to take it over. The Lord Jesus Christ died for it. And the authority has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15. Now, the first part I dealt with in the first course of Bible studies. Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Praise God. Now, look at 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them, in the cross. On Saturday I was speaking in Eastbourne about the cross before the glory. And I didn't use this passage, but this passage brings it out just as much. Satan wanted the glory, but he didn't want the cross. Not at all. And yet through the cross, the Lord has received the glory. Hallelujah. Right, Isaiah 14 again. Number four. And this is Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. That's the next one. The fourth I will. Now there are 150 references or thereabouts to clouds in the Bible. Of them, 100 deal with clouds as a symbol of the power and majesty of God. The power and majesty. To just show that, keep your finger in Isaiah 14. Let's turn to Exodus. <clears throat> The book of Exodus, and chapter 16, verse 10. Chapter 16, and verse 10. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. There it is. Um, we d haven't got time to look at them, but Exodus 40, 38. Exodus 40, 38. Isaiah 19, 1 deal with the same subject. And there are a hundred references where clouds and the majesty and power of God are brought together. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he's coming in the clouds. Praise God. With great authority and great power. Hallelujah. There we are. Now, what's that all about then? He says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'm going to have 
more glory and more majesty and more power than God's got. That's what it, this is all went on in Satan's heart when he fell. This is devastating, isn't it? That he should have seen the Lord so clearly, seen the whole glory of God, and these thoughts immediately enter into his heart. So Satan wants much more than God has got. Actually, his idea is that God will eventually serve him. That was the idea. However, those four are nothing compared to the last one. And the fifth I will is this. I will be like the Most High. What a stupendous project this is in the heart of the devil. He wants to be like the Most High. And pride now has produced madness in his mind. Because it's impossible. Satan was created. He couldn't be like God, who was never created. Why not? Let's take a few examples. First of all, God is eternal life. And eternal life means you've got no beginning, you've got no end. Now, if there was ever a time when Satan didn't exist, he can't be eternal life. Well, it's nonsense. Next, God is immutable. That means he never changes. Now, at one time, Satan didn't exist. Next moment, he did exist. Well, he's changed. He can't be immutable. He's not omnipotent, praise God. Learn that, please. Many Christians treat him as if he is omnipotent. He's not on omnipotent. He's not omniscient either. There are things Satan doesn't know. A lot of things he doesn't know. And the one I love above everything else, he's not omnipresent. <laughs> Hallelujah. You think about that. That means if I get four telephone calls, all within five minutes, one from London, one from Portsmouth, one from Brighton, and one from Chichester, and they all say, the devil's after me, three of them are wrong. <laughs> Hallelujah. Three of them are wrong. And I believe that the enemy, anyway, is more interested in what's going on in heaven, what damage he can do to you in heaven than what he can do on earth. And he's got plenty of dem demons and demonic force he doesn't have to come himself. He can just hand out the troublemaking to them. That's it. And here is Satan. I'm going to be like the Most High. I'm going to be like him. It's a total impossibility because, of course, he was actually uh, created himself. So that means it's totally impossible. Hallelujah. Pride is the sin of the devil. And I believe that pride is the greatest sin in the life of any believer. Pride is the greatest sin, because it's the very sin of Satan himself. Now, all of that went on. Oh, I, I was going to end here, but I just must read verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, not to the sides of the north, but to the sides of the pit. And that's deliberate. And there's the ju judgment of God upon Satan. Now, Satan's been sentenced, but the sentence hasn't yet been carried out. And we are living in the time when he knows what's coming upon him, but at the moment it hasn't been carried out. God frequently does this. If you take the life of Saul, for example, after one year of reign, God said to Saul, I've rejected you from being king of Israel. Yet he continued to be king for another 39 years before he lost the throne. But to God, no. To God, he was not king. And Satan, at this time, has been sentenced. The judgment is yet to come upon him. And the judgment now brings us on to number two and number three. The second fall 
and the third fall of Satan, which are actually, of course, part of the judgment of the enemy. Now, the second fall is from heaven. And it's future. It's future. All right? From heaven. At the moment, Satan is still in heaven. He commutes, actually. He can commute. He can come to the earth if he wants to. He can go to heaven if he wants to. Do you know what he's doing? He's slandering you and he's accusing you right now. Hallelujah. Yes. That's, his, that's what he thinks his job is at the moment. And at this very moment of time, Satan is accusing the brethren and slandering. Do you know, he might be mentioning your name right now. He might be saying, look at her. Call herself a Christian. Look at her. Look at him. Look what he's doing. How can he say he love everyone when he's talking about me like this? And phrases like that. You see? And he's accusing and accusing and accusing. And how God deals with him, I'm going to deal with when I deal with the judgment of believers. Because it's wonderful, the technique that God uses. And there's a great secret in it, which I think is liberating to every Christian. Praise God. All right, but that's it. That's what he's doing. But here's the good news. The day is coming when Satan is going to fall from heaven. He's going to be thrown out onto the earth. And that's the second fall of Satan. And it comes three and a half years after the rapture of the church. Now soon the church is going to go. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken away. And for three and a half years, this earth's going to be just as much as it is. It's going to be slightly worse. It's going to get worse as time goes on. But after three and a half years, there is going to be war in heaven. And Satan's going to lose. Let's have a look at it. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, and ver beginning verse 7. This is three and a half years after you and I have been removed from the earth. We are now in heaven, though we are not going to fight in this battle. Here it is. Revelation 12, beginning verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael. Michael is the great worrying angel. He is the great warrior of the Bible. He's the one that always moves out to fight back the forces. And Michael and his angels, these are the two-thirds, of course, that didn't rebel with Satan, fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels. They're the fallen angels and the demons. Verse 8. And prevail not. Hallelujah. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And three and a half years after the rapture of the church, Satan is thrown out of heaven. And that's the second fall of Satan. The, the last half of the tribulation is the most terrible period of history the world will ever know. Satan himself living on the earth. Every demonic force living on the earth. Now there it is. This is the second fall of Satan. But, what about the Lord? 
the Lord prophesied all about this. And he didn't just prophesy it, he said a few other words as well. And they're terribly important for us. Let's have a look at it, shall we? Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Beginning verse 17. Now at this point, the Lord has given 70 of his disciples power and authority. <clears throat> and they come back to him. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. To the Lord, who lived in the word of God, he knew this was the beginning. Immediately the thought came to him, soon Satan is going to be thrown down from heaven. Praise God. The moment you start seeing demonic forces beaten, you know that Satan's time in heaven is very limited indeed. We're going to occupy heaven. Hallelujah. And when we're occupying heaven, there's no room for Satan. Praise God. For three and a half years, we're the Lord's dealing with us up in heaven after the rapture of the church. But then Satan's cast out and we occupy heaven. There it is. And this response of these 70 immediately... Uh, when they said this to Jesus, immediately the picture of the second fall of Satan came to his mind. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning, just like a lightning streak. I saw him come down. And it's prophetic of Revelation 12, the second fall of Satan. He didn't stop there, though. Look what he said. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Hallelujah. And it is time, my beloved brothers and sisters, that we read all of this passage. Hallelujah. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. It is time that the church stops being pushed around by the enemy. And starts showing the enemy what we're made of. Hallelujah. If the Lord Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy, that means that the enemy has no power over us. But a warning. Here it is, verse 20. Notwithstanding in this, sorry, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. It's the, the God of our salvation we've got to join in, not the power and authority that he's given to us. Hallelujah. That's why I never laugh at the enemy. Never. He is far above me, as far as creation is concerned. But soon, of course, when we are ascended, we're going to be far above all the angels, and we're going to be the ones to judge the angels. But that day is yet future. And at the moment, we just rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right, now there's the second fall. The third fall then occurs right at the end of the millennium. For 1,000 years, Satan is bound up and he can't do anything on the earth. But the Bible says then that he's let out for a short season, a short time. And what's he do? The same thing that he did at the beginning. He leads a revolt. And he starts going around, picking up his converts. And there's a massive revolt on the earth. I'm going to deal with all of this in great detail when we do a series on prophecy, which will probably be the next complete series. And we'll deal with the revolt of Satan at the end of the millennium. And this time God is saying, no, 
and he's going to cast him out into the lake of fire, which, as Matthew 25 verse 41 says, was prepared for the devil and his angels. The lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. And the third fall of Satan is actually the time when the judgment of God upon the enemy will be complete. At that time, he is cast into the lake of fire. All right, This lake of fire, which is caused by nuclear fission probably, when the earth and the whole universe disintegrate. And uh, there's a massive uh, nuclear phenomenon that uh, then occurs. And Satan and all of his angels are cast in to that. And there's the third fall of Satan. Praise God. Now, I just want to go through the timetable of what we can expect to happen. Because here are the events. Seven points. This is the timetable that's coming up. I'm going to deal with the details of this, as I said, later on. Here we go. Soon we've got number one. The rapture of the church. Number one. And Satan's not going to like that. But we're going. Praise God. The moment we go, it's a major testimony to Satan. And just as every time a demon is cast out, by the way, it's a major testimony to Satan of his second fall. So the rapture of the church, he's going to know, I've got three and a half years, and it's going to be desperate. And pity the Jews, pity the Jews during that time. That's why we must pray for them now as a nation. Number two, as soon as we've gone, the tribulation begins. Isn't that wonderful news? The tribulation is a time of judgment, and there's no judgment for those in Christ Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Number three, halfway through the tribulation, the second fall of Satan. Satan is thrown out of heaven. Number four, three and a half years later, the second advent of Christ. Jesus comes again in power and great glory. Not as the humble lamb as he was first time, but this time as the victorious one. The ever-conquering king, the king of kings, the lord of all lords. Our lord appears. Who's going to appear with him? We are. Glory to Jesus. Even as Enoch said, the lord shall come and 10,000 of his saints. Glory to Jesus. Enoch knew all about this. Praise the name of Jesus. And we're coming. What happens to Satan at that point? Well, he's locked up. Satan's locked up and for nearly a thousand years, of course, he's kept bound. So number five, the millennium. The word millennium means 1,000 years. <clears throat> Number six, right at the end of the millennium, Satan is released for a short season. And he leads his revolt. Number seven, the third fall of Satan. Satan cast into the lake of fire. There they are. Now, there's one major passage which deals with all three forms of Satan. All three. And that's Ezekiel, chapter 28. So if you turn to Ezekiel, chapter 28. Ezekiel, chapter 28. And I'm going to begin verse 11. Verse 11. <clears throat> now, as we read through... Try and see the first fall, the second fall, and the third fall as we go. <clears throat> now up to this time, he's been talking about the Prince of Tyre. 
There's a man called the prince, he's the king of Tyre. But who was the power behind the throne? Satan was. And the Tyrians were famous for having a man as their god. And uh, so here, <clears throat> Ezekiel is told to prophesy against the real power behind the throne. And beginning verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, verse 12, Son of man, that's a prophet's title, the title for a prophet. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. This is the funeral dirge of Satan that we're about to, to read. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun. You think of someone altogether beautiful, with every beautiful facet, and he looks like Satan. Satan was the most beautiful, the most wonderful creature that God ever created. There he is. You seal up the sun, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Perfect. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now that is not the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a physical manifestation of the spiritual Garden of God. And he's saying, Satan, you were actually walking in the perfect heavenly environment in the third heaven. You've been uh, in Eden, the Garden of God. Notice what it then goes on. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. And all of these are mentioned in relation to the high priest. And he's saying, you had all the garments of the high priest here. You had every stone that the high priest had. You were a priest to me. That was your position, he's saying. Uh, These the stones are only mentioned three times. One, the high priest. Two, the heavenly Jerusalem. And three, here. You see? And he's saying, you were at that type of level, Satan. That's the type of position you had in heaven. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in they, thee in the day that thou was created. A beautiful voice, that is. There we are. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee. In the day that thou wast created, Satan, you were created. You were not ever living. You were not uh, always here. Therefore, you are not God and you are not like the Most High God. Now, verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Anointed there means messianic. Messiah means anointed. Thou art the messianic cherub that covereth, that rules, that is. It was his job to rule in the place of the Messiah. He was the one who protected the Messiah. He was the one that was prepared to fight for the holiness and purity of the Lord Jesus. This was the position that Satan had. What an amazing picture this is. What an astounding verse. Thou art the messianic cherub that ruleth. And I have set thee so. I've given you that position, Satan. That's grace. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. You actually saw me in judgment, Satan. Thou hast walked up and down. There's the phrase again. You have rulership over it. You've walked up and down. You've ruled in the midst of the stones of fire. They're angels. You actually have rulership over the angels. Verse 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways, sinless, from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. And there's the first fall. 
the iniquity, the pride of Satan. Isaiah 14. Verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, by how rich you were, by the prosperity that you had, they, these riches, this beauty, this wisdom that you rejoice so much in, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. First four. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And there's the second fall. There it is. I'll cast thee out, Satan. You're going to be thrown out of heaven. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. First fall again. Thou hast corrupted the wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. Second fall. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. It says they will squint at you. That means that they'll be so appalled when they see you. They'll put their eyelids together, you know. Screw up their faces. Thou hast defiled the sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. The iniquity of the traffic refers to the time when Satan moved round from angel to angel trying to collect converts. You see, the iniquity of thy traffic. As you went from here, there and everywhere, it was sin. You were trying to collect people to join your side, Satan. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire. There's the lake of fire. Third form. From the midst of thee, it shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Every imagination of Satan will collapse in ashes. And everyone on the earth is going to see it. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. They won't believe it. Thou shalt be not a terror, but in terror. Thou shalt be in terror, and never shalt thou be any more. There's the third form. Now the subject is judgment. The subject is judgment. There is the judgment of Satan. And Satan had no excuse, none whatsoever. He was indeed a most wonderful creature of God. But yet his judgment is coming, assure, assure, assure. It's coming. I want to just end with two thoughts. First of all, may God reveal to us the fact that he is righteous, that his justice is righteous in every way. And may he also reveal, as part of this, how horrific the Uh, uprising of Satan was when Satan's pride started revolting against God. May he reveal that to us in all the wonder. But last of all, and the last note, I want to turn back quickly to Luke 10 and verse 20. Luke 10 and verse 20. Because we as believers must never be preoccupied with the enemy. We have to be preoccupied with the Lord. Hallelujah. And I can think of no more fitting verse on which to end. Verse 20. Luke 10, 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're not going to be cast out of heaven, my beloved. Hallelujah. He's got a mansion up there for you. Glory to Jesus. The enemy's not going to be there. May God bless us all. Amen.